Hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Regular listeners will know that quite often this podcast is constructed, I suppose, from observations that um, I make over the previous weeks or perhaps conversations I've been involved in or newspaper articles, online articles that I've spotted, maybe a film or a television programme that I've watched. All of them, I suppose, are instigators for thought and for conversation. But for this week's episode, I want to deal with something different. I think something that every single one of you listening to this podcast has. Family photographs. And the reason why I've started to think about this a little bit more, I suppose I'll discuss on a future episode, but... um. Just in the last week or so, I've been looking at a lot of my own family photographs. Now, my father um, got his first camera in the early 1960s, and one of the themes that I suppose we've discovered, and one of the most dominant themes that have come through from all of the What Does Photography Mean to You episodes, uh, contributors is that so often a member of a family, a parent, a father, a mother, whoever, a family friend, um, passes on a camera to the young child, and the young child is instantly excited by the magic of being able to stop time to record things that they see, to put the present into posterity, to put it into the future, I suppose, Anyway, I've been looking at um, these family photographs, as I just said, and uh, my father got this camera, and in the early 1960s, I think probably in about 1961, 62, about that time, he bought a large leather-bound photograph album um, from Harrods, actually, the big department store, and he bought it there uh, at a reduced price because it had gold initials embossed on the cover of the album, and the person who had commissioned it, who'd ordered it, had never turned up to pick it up, and therefore they wanted to sell it. So our history of family photographs starts with this slightly strange, uh, I suppose, uh, lack of knowledge, really, because who knows who those initials belong to? They're certainly not our family. And yet, that is where our family begins, through the photographs that appear in that book. Over the subsequent uh, nearly 60 years now, he has continued to build a vast archive of albums and photographic prints of our family. Now, this isn't a question of an archive as being commissioned photography or even being a hobbyist photographing, I don't know, landscapes or um, uh, birds or animals or all of those kinds of things that enthusiasts have a tendency to photograph. What my father did was he focused on the family and the family only. So there is absolutely nobody else in these albums, in these photographs, other than our immediate family, and primarily my mother. Now, what's interesting for me is, of course, I can look at these photographs, and I'm back there. I can remember exactly when they were photographed, when the photograph was made. I can remember kind of what I was feeling, what I was wearing, what the weather was like. All of those elements come back 
to me in a snapshot. And I'm sure that if you've got family photographs and if you spend time going back and looking through them, I'm sure that you would feel exactly the same. Now, I also have my own personal archive of images of my career. But they don't really mean that much to me, to be honest to, uh, with you. Some of them mean more than others, of course. Some of them can transport me back to a time and a, or a place. But in reality, the majority of that work is created, has been created, continues to be created to earn money. It's very different to the connection I have with those family photographs. What I have done is I've made photographs just about my youngest daughter over the last few years and made a series of books of those images. And I suppose, in a sense, what I'm trying to do is recreate for her that life that she's going to forget. Because when I speak to my father, he doesn't remember making those images in the same way as I remember being in those images. And perhaps, without trying to get too academic about this, perhaps this is where we are with photography. The name of this podcast is A Photographic Life, and my life is engaged with photography in all sorts of different ways, different touch points through talks and making and showing and teaching, and of course on this podcast speaking. But the true photographic life that I have is not me making the images, I believe, but of me being in the images in the images which exist within those albums. That's my true photographic life. The pictures in there are in colour, primarily. Because my father would buy a roll of film, he would take pictures, primarily again at uh, celebrations, birthdays, um, the receiving of a new bicycle, the going off to the first cub uh, camp maybe going to the zoo, these family events. And he would take that film and he would get it processed. Um, initially, he used to go to a, a local camera shop, but as time went by, he started to take it to Boots the Chemist. He would get large prints made. He liked large prints. He still likes large prints because he still has boxes and boxes and those little paper envelopes that he returns to and he re-edits, and he makes new books from the old work. Now, this is somebody who is not a photographer. He doesn't really even use a camera very often anymore. But that photographic life exists within those books. And I would argue that anybody making images in that way is just as relevant a photographer as somebody who gets paid to make images. This week, we welcome to the podcast a photographer who also puts herself in the picture. She is both the subject and the maker. It's Trish Morrissey, who was born in Dublin in 1967 and now lives in the UK. She works with photography, film and video and has exhibited in solo and group shows, uh, both nationally and internationally. Her work is in major collections, including the Victoria and Albert Museum and the Michael Wilson Centre for Photography. Recent projects include 10 people in a suitcase for touching from a distance, 
for which he was a shortlisted uh, entrant for the Taylor Wessing Portrait Prize in 2015, and Face the Collections, a residency and exhibition with Bettina von Zwell at the Bohuslän Museum in Sweden in 2016. She describes her work as a study of the language of photography through still and moving images, using performance and wit as tools to investigate the boundaries of photographic meaning. Although most of her work features Morrissey as the protagonist, she doesn't consider them to be self-portraits, though they can be read that way. She claims to use humour as a tool to disarm the viewer, which evaporates, leaving a slow-burning, psychologically tense afterglow. Weaving fact and fiction, dealing with issues such as family experiences and national identities, feminine and masculine roles, and relationships between strangers. Let's hear what Trish has got to say, shall we? I never planned to be a photographer. I had wanted to be a writer when I was a kid. Writing stories is what I did in my spare time, usually melodramatic adventures involving the sea. I fell into photography by accident. I wrote a Dear Sir or Madam letter to all the newspapers in Ireland asking for a starter job with a view to learning journalism as a sort of apprenticeship in my imagination. My naivety bore fruit in the offer of a post as a darkroom assistant at the Irish Independent. I'd never really thought of photography before and I became obsessed by the magic of seeing black and white prints appearing in the developer tray. I borrowed a camera from work and took some of the 35mm Tri-X that was abundantly available from the store cupboard and became a dedicated flaneuse, bringing my camera with me wherever I went. That time was so magical. I was between the ages of 18 and 20. I had just left home and was curious about the world. After a stint doing seasonal work and travelling around France and Spain, photographing everything, I went to London. After another year of sofa surfing between Dublin and the UK, I decided to give London a proper go. In the first week, I lost all my negatives on my portfolio of work from the previous four years when I lost my bag. I jumped off the train at Greenwich where I was staying with a friend and as soon as the door shut, I realised what I'd done. Daily visits to lost property at Waterloo ensued. It took about a month for me to accept that the bag was gone forever. All I have left from those early photographic years are a few tatty prints. I spent the 1990s in London working as a commercial assistant for about four years. I then stepped out as a commercial photographer in my own right, though that particular hat never fitted very well. I lasted five years, stopped and did a master's, graduating in 2001. And that's when I found my voice. I never planned on being the subject and performer in my work. It just evolved that way. The photographs I make now are the final moments in a really long process of research and development, characterizations and rehearsals. Recently, I've been more interested in film works. I've made three since 2020, though I've been working with moving image alongside photography since 2004. Photography for me began as a portal to other worlds. Then it became a sort of therapy as I worked through past experiences. Now it's almost like a rehearsal for life as I subconsciously take on roles and characters that give me the opportunity to act out my future self. Thank you very much, Trish, for your contribution this week. I think it's really interesting how often I talk about a subject that's kind of on my mind and then 
I drop in the uh, contribution for the from the photographer for that week, and so many of the things seem to connect, and it's never planned. Trish, they're talking very much about the personal. Also great to hear her talking about moving image. It does surprise, slightly sadden me a bit, that so many photographers are not exploring that button which is on the camera. That camera can make moving images as well as still images. So I just don't understand why more people don't explore the opportunities, the creative opportunities for storytelling that uh, moving images gives. Uh, sometimes photographers can be so frustrating. But uh, a really great story, great contribution there from Trish. And I think also giving a real kind of understanding of that journey as to how she's got to that point with her work, which some people quite often feel is very disconnected from what they do when it's placed into a gallery context. So great to hear from Trish. Um, check out her work as always. I know a lot of you listen to this podcast in the car whilst you're driving. I know some of you listen whilst out walking the dog. Maybe some of you are just walking down the street as you're listening to this at the moment. If you are, hi. But if it's safe to do so, and only if it's safe to do so, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Can you close your eyes? And whilst your eyes are closed, can you kind of picture for me what you think the classic photographer looks like? What's the outfit that they're wearing? How are they dressed? And I suppose, really, one of the kind of the classic... Oh, you can open your eyes now, by the way, as long as you manage to picture something. Uh, I suppose the classic, really, is Dennis Hopper in uh, Apocalypse Now with a million uh, 35 Nikons around his neck. Or perhaps that idea of the photographer with that waistcoat, the press photographer with all those different pockets in it for, for film and filters and lenses and all sorts of different bits and pieces. I suppose, in a sense, that's the classic. To my wife, she makes a joke that all photographers... In fact, she always says, why do all photographers today seem to wear those uh, blue French dustman jackets? Those, I believe, have been designed or redesigned and called shackets now. A, a shirt jacket, I have to say. I wear one myself. Uh, Bill Cunningham, of course, the great New York photographer, was famed for always wearing uh, his blue dustman's jacket that he would buy from the department store in Paris when he went over and did the collections. Well, why am I talking about clothing, you might ask? Has, has Grant gone completely nuts this week? Well, no. The reason is because, as I said at the beginning of the episode, I sort of keep my antennae up and going and looking around. And I noticed recently that the clothing company, uh, Finisterre, who are a UK-based company, have launched, well, it's a new arrival. I think it actually came through on the uh, the algorithmic world of my Facebook, obviously, They've recognised an interest in photography and an advert came up for Finisterre. And as I've spoken about previously, there does seem to be a, a real interest amongst photographers in getting out into the uh, the countryside and the rugged world. Um, 
I suppose alongside that uh, that jacket, I was saying that French blue jacket is a pair of Red Wing rugged boots or a pair of New Balance trainers. You can fill in the rest yourself. But anyway, so Finisterre, <coughs> excuse me, have um, launched a jacket called the F two point eight field jacket. It's retailing at the uh, the classic price for all photographers three hundred and twenty five pounds. So what do you get for that? And what's interesting also, obviously brilliant, is that they're selling it as a woman's uh, jacket and as a male's jacket in both different uh, sections of their website. I did my research. I checked it out. So this is what it says about the jacket. It combines functionality with everyday style, packed with features that allow you to focus on capturing the moment. Now, I'm not quite sure how a jacket... uh, kind of delivers on the Cartier-Bresson decisive moment, but this one does. It also features the same highly waterproof fabric as our pinnacle Vellus Parker and is fully lined, making it perfect for layering as the cold sets in, boasting seven pockets, one even with an attached lens cloth. I told you, this is for photographers. And it also has an adjustable peaked hood, hem and cuffs it's just what every photographer needs so when you're next out and you see somebody walking around with a camera check out their jacket just a little bit of tidying up to do thank you very much to everybody who gave us such positive responses and feedback to uh our most recent uh, bill shapiro uh episode of the conversation dealing with the pivot um that seems to have really uh, hit a chord with you so thank you for that Also, big thanks to one of the podcast listeners who very kindly, completely out of the blue, sent me a William Klein T-shirt, which is fantastic. And I have to say, um, really quite touched me. So thank you very much. You know who you are. Um, I'd love to say all gifts accepted, so I will. But I'm really not sure how that uh, person even found my address. But hey-ho, there you go. It happened. Uh, Maybe it's out there on the internet somewhere. In fact, I never really thought of that before. Maybe that's a little weird. Anyway, um, thanks so much uh, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, uh, do subscribe wherever you're listening to this to make sure it drops into your uh, favourite episodes or whatever it may be. Uh, Leave a review. uh, That would be great, especially if you've enjoyed it. And get in touch with us. Tell me what you think. about what we're doing. It's not about agreeing. It's about sharing thoughts. I think that's the real key to positive, respectful conversation going forward. Uh, My voice is still a little bit croaky, as you can probably hear, but it's getting better. So that's a good thing. But of course, as always, what I am going to do over the coming weeks until I see you again next week is I'm going to take care. And I hope you do too. (music) 